In two weekends, uh, we call it Harvest Weekend. It's one of the most important uh, times of our church year uh, where we give beyond our tithes and offerings. This year, $1.6 million we're asking to fund the outreach works of this church locally and around the world. Uh, If you are new to our church, I beg you to get educated in the mission efforts of this church. It's rather stunning. We prepared this brochure that all of you should read and know and feel good about where your monies are going to represent Christ around the world. Uh, It's not just a chance for us to invest in the gospel. It's a chance for us to invest in the next generation. We involve our children in harvest. We believe there's a reason that so many of our missionaries grew up in our church because we're grazing them in a culture where sending Jesus to the world is important. So read the brochure, be in a lot of prayer. Now, next Friday night, we have our annual harvest dinner. That's November the 4th. And we invite you to come to that. Now, that's not just for people in missions ministries, for the whole church to come and hear the story of what we're doing. And then in two weekends, we have our offering. So would you pray with me for a moment about this? Father, I just ask you now to bless harvest weekend. I pray that you would encourage and inspire us not just to be generous, but to be joyful because that's how you give God. You give generously and you give joyfully. I pray that we would do the same father, that we would invest in the only thing that can give dividends for eternity. And so prepare our hearts and our minds and prepare our children as we embrace the harvest season for Jesus' glory. Amen. So we're asking the question, is God sufficient for the greatest challenges we face? We're calling it greater than. And I knew some weeks in advance of this weekend that this would be one of the most important and difficult teachings I would give because we want to talk frankly today about the matter of suffering, something that you know well. I heard a story of a New Yorker. He was down in Texas and he was involved in a terrible accident. He was hit by a guy in a pickup pulling a trailer with a horse in the back. Several months later, He filed for uh, monies from an insurance company to pay for his medical injuries. Well, the lawyer from the insurance company uh, protested and said, it says here on the police report that you were not injured. And the New Yorker said, let me explain. I was lying on the side of the road in great pain when a Texas Ranger showed up. Somebody said the horse's leg was broke. He pulled out his gun and shot him, then turned to me and said, are you okay? (laughs) You see, life is full of pain, but a lot of it goes unreported because some Christians, I think, mistakenly believe that to be Christian is to wear a plastic smile and always act like it doesn't hurt. These believers are hard to suffer because the rest of us know 
that you go through seasons of life where you suffer hard. And scripture does not pretend that suffering is easy. But scripture does contend that God is greater than my sufferings. And this is important for us to think about because probably the most difficult question we face with our unbelieving friends is if God is so good and powerful, why is there so much suffering in the world? And we respond with at least two ways. We say first, listen, we know pain is real. We know it exists, but you need to know that God did not choose suffering for his story. He did not write suffering into the script. You can read the first couple of chapters of his book to find that out. The author did not bring suffering into the plot. The first actor did. And so Paul says in Romans chapter five, when Adam sinned, sin entered the world and Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone for everyone sinned. Now what that means is that every body of every person here has been affected and maybe I should say infected. With the contamination of sin. And it will die. Despite what some preachers on TV might cause you to think. The reality is believers are just as subject to the consequences of the fall as unbelievers. And so if you're a man out there farming It doesn't matter whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, weeds and thorns are going to grow in your land. And if you're a woman who's pregnant, it doesn't matter if you're a believer or an unbeliever, there's going to be pain in childbirth. Jesus affirmed that sickness is going to be a part of our reality until he comes back. That's why he said, go and visit the sick. And when you do, remember that you're visiting me. This is our world. It's not the world God intended, but neither is it the world God abandoned. Because even though God didn't choose suffering for his story, the second thing we say is that God can use suffering for his glory. Now, I don't believe that God always wills or predetermines our sufferings. I think most of our pain is simply the fallout of living in a marred creation. I do believe that God can accomplish his purposes in spite of and sometimes even through our sufferings. Now, be careful here. Especially When you are talking to someone who's suffering, I did not say that suffering is good. I said that good can come even from suffering. 
The Bible says our God is greater than our suffering. And so even our wounds can present opportunities for growth and for fresh experiences of him. The classic illustration here is the Apostle Paul. He's writing to the Corinthians in his second correspondence. And he's telling them of some of the things that God has privileged him to see. He's very honest. He says, I have been allowed visions of the third heaven. He says, I saw things that first off, I can't even put into words. But second, if I could, I'm not allowed to tell you. Now, that's a great privilege, but it comes with a great temptation to be very conceited because of things you have been privileged to see. And so look at what he says now, starting in verse 7 of chapter 12. So that I would not become too proud of the wonderful things that were shown to me, a painful physical problem was given to me. Now, this problem was a messenger from Satan sent to beat me and keep me from being too proud. And I begged the Lord three times to take this problem away from me. But he said to me, my grace is enough for you. When you are weak, my power is made perfect in you. So I'm very happy to brag about my weaknesses. Then Christ's power can live in me. See, here's the thing. We want to bring God glory with our lives. But what we want is to bring God glory by God leveraging our strength. And so when the athlete hits the home run or he scores the winning touchdown and they put the mic in his face after the game and the whole country's watching, he says, first, I just want to give glory to God. When we get a raise, when we get a promotion, when we have a financial windfall, when something really good happens to us, we say, wait, first, I want to give glory to God. We want God to leverage our strength. God, take my talent, take my blessing, take my moment when I get applauded by the crowd and God leverage it for your glory. What you never see is the athlete that just lost the game, dropped the ball, interviewed, who says, well, first, I want to give glory to God. You never hear the guy who just lost his job say, but first, I want to give glory to God. We want God to get glory from our strength. And sometimes God says, but what if I could get more glory from your weakness? And so many of you have heard, for example, of a young lady named Bethany Hamilton, world-class surfer. At the age of 14, she was bitten by a shark and she lost her arm. Her story was made into a movie called Soul Surfer. And she gives a strong Christian witness. And she would never say to anybody, I'm glad it happened. And she would never say, I hope it happens to you. What she would say is that in her weakness, she has been given a platform to glorify God. In fact, she said recently, I've been able to embrace more people with one arm than I ever did 
with two. Because God is greater than our sufferings. And so we believe two things. That God will always do what is best. And that I do not always know in advance what God's best is. And that's where faith comes in. And I have faith in a God who is greater than my sufferings. And because of that, I believe my greater than God can remove my suffering. We see this a lot in the Gospels, that every time Jesus encountered suffering, he moved against it. And every time he did, it was an act of spiritual warfare, particularly when Jesus healed. He was invading the domain of Satan and pushing back his illegitimate rule. When Jesus healed disease, he was announcing there is a new king in town. And you see this connection all through the gospels of the kingdom of God and the age of healing. Like Luke 9 and in verse 2 where it says, He, Jesus, sent the apostles out to tell about God's kingdom and to heal the sick. Because when Jesus healed, he was announcing a new reign had appeared on the scene. And that's why in the gospels, Jesus does as much touching as he does teaching. In the narratives in the gospels, the part where Jesus is not speaking, but he's doing Did you know that 40% of the narrative material in the Gospels are healing miracles? Now, why was healing sickness such a priority to Jesus? And this was important to me because you may not be like me, but I grew up in churches that said, "Well, well, you know, God doesn't do that anymore. God doesn't heal the sick anymore because the reason that he healed the sick is over. So one time I just got in my Bible, I just literally read all four Gospels. I wrote down every single healing story in all four Gospels, and I looked, why did Jesus do it? And I wrote down reasons. I found five reasons. One was to authenticate his identity, to let people know who he was. He said to his critics, if you don't believe me, believe the miracles and know that God is in me. Another reason he healed was to illustrate his authority. So he would say to a man on a mat, your sins are forgiven so that you will know the son of man has authority to forgive sins. I say, stand up and walk. Another reason he healed was to demonstrate compassion. Many times in the gospels, Jesus would look at a crowd like sheep without a shepherd. He would have compassion and he would heal the sick. Another reason was to validate someone's faith. Often when Jesus would heal, he would say, your faith has made you well. And finally, it was to stimulate praise of God. So often after the healings, people would praise the Lord and say, we've never seen anything like this. Now, which of those five reasons is rooted in some temporary historical basis? Jesus still wants you to know who he is. He still wants you to know he's got authority. He still has compassion on his children. He still validates faith. He still wants us to praise God. Find me anywhere in the Bible where God ever says, I'm not going to do that anymore. The first Christians believed in and they sought 
healing from God. Now, I need to say right here, I believe all healing is divine healing. Some people say, well, there's normal healing and there's divine healing. No, it's all divine healing. It's all from God. Do you know the healing you get the most and you don't even know what's going on? God so marvelously designed your body that 90% of the disease you are exposed to, your body fights off and you don't even know what's going on. And that's divine healing. When you go to a doctor and he uses his skill and he uses his medicines, every good gift comes from God. That's divine healing. God gets the glory. The doctor gets the money. (laughs) When you change your lifestyle and you start taking care of your body consistent with what scripture says, you start eating right and your body gets healthier. That's divine. That's from God. And sometimes God heals with supernatural intervention. And the church is right to ask for that. In fact, we're even told to. James chapter 5. Anyone who is sick should call the church's elders. They should pray for and pour oil on the person in the name of the Lord. And the prayer that is said with faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will heal that person. And if the person has sinned, their sins will be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so God can heal you. When a believing person prays, great things happen. You know, this church has done this for over 30 years. Long before I came and I've been here 22 years, the elders in this church have prayed for the sick, anointing them with oil. Because we affirm, That God still has and still dispenses his power through his Holy Spirit to remove suffering. But we also affirm that what is always in his power is not always in his purpose. God is greater than suffering. And so he can remove my suffering. But if he doesn't, then he can redeem my suffering. It is possible to be good and sick. I find it very significant that many of Paul's ministry companions, Timothy, Trophimus, Epaphroditus, they're right there in your New Testament. They travel with Paul and they battled sickness. Which is interesting because Paul had a powerful healing gift. But then even Paul dealt with physical suffering. We saw a couple of weeks ago, he told the Galatians, the reason I preached the gospel to you in the first place was because of an illness. And Paul would later come to realize that the attack on his physical health was redeemed. By the improvement in his spiritual health. You want to talk about how sovereign God is. Satan wants to attack Paul and take him down. God wants to protect Paul from pride. So God uses the illness that Satan sent to Paul. To keep Paul from succumbing to the temptation and sin that destroyed Satan. Now, that's sovereignty. 
You see, the only way to know the sufficiency of God is to go through a season of weakness. The only way you will ever find out his grace is enough is not in spite of suffering, but in the midst of suffering. And a lot of you understand this. A lot of you have been through a season in your life where you would say to me, it was hard, I didn't want it, I wouldn't wish it on anybody. And I look back now and realize it took me to places in my relationship with God I would never have gone. Paul will tell you, I learned about the grace of God in a way I never could have known in my strength. He would agree with David, the psalmist in 119. It was good for me to suffer. So I would learn your demands. And like Paul, I want you to know it's okay to ask God to take away your suffering. He did three different times. And God never reprimanded Paul for asking God to remove the suffering. God can deliver us from suffering. Or he may choose to deliver us through suffering. And I want you to hear now a testimony that I think illustrates powerfully these two great principles. So I'm going to ask Amy Carter to come and join me on stage. Amy is the wife of Rick Carter, who leads our stewardship ministries. and He's our minister of financial freedom. And Amy and Rick are the proud parents of two precious little girls. And I want you to hear their story. So thank you for joining me, Amy. Tell us first about your first daughter, little Eva. Well, um, back in 2006, um, I became pregnant with our first child, and when I was about two and a half months along, we went to the doctor, and we quickly learned that something was very wrong with Eva, and after seeing several other doctors, they um, told us that she had a cystic hygroma, which is a malformation of the lymphatic system, that this was a life-threatening diagnosis, um, and that she may live a few days or it could be a few months but she was not going to survive the pregnancy so we were obviously just very devastated and left that day without any hope and the next few days following that appointment our friends and family began praying for healing for Eva and it's hard to admit this now that my husband and I had never considered to pray for healing but we also began praying for healing for Eva And about a week before we were supposed to go back to the doctor, I was sitting in my living room one day just pouring out my heart to the Lord, and I received a word from him that he had healed her. And I wrote it in my journal, and I told my husband the word that I received. And the next week, the night before we were to go to the doctor, we came up here to church, and our friends and elders and ministers from this church prayed over us, continuing to pray for healing for Eva and We went to the doctor the next day, and just the doctor looked at the sonogram carefully, and then just with tears in her eyes, she just looked at us and said, it's gone. 
the cystic hygroma is gone. There's no evidence that it was ever here. And we all just were crying and, you know, praising the Lord for the miracle he performed in Eva. And, and the doctor knew what it was a miracle, right? She did. Then our next appointment, we went back a few weeks later, and she looked at us and just said, I, I hope you know what has happened here. And we said, oh, we do. She said, I... <laughs> We said, she said, I have talked to many other doctors about your case, and they have never heard of this happening. This is a miracle. We said, we know. So Eva was born with no health issues, a precious, yeah, amazing little miracle happy, of God. Happy, healthy, five-year-old little girl who just brings us so much joy. Okay. But you are mother of two little girls. Yeah. Tell us about Ella. Well, um, in 2008, I became pregnant again with our second child, and... When I was about three months along, we went to the doctor and, again, heard those dreaded words, there's something wrong with the baby. And we could not believe that this was happening again. And this time, she was diagnosed with an emphalocele, which is an abdominal wall defect. And we were just heartbroken, but this time we were not without hope. After all that we went through with Eva, we just... We knew immediately we're, we're going to pray for healing. Our friends and family prayed again. Elders and ministers from this church prayed for healing. And but you never, you never got a word this time, did you? No, we never got a word that she was healed. And so on August 31st, 2008, Ella was born with her stomach and liver and intestines outside of her body. And she also had a severely deformed left shoulder that we did not know about until the night of her birth. So that night, everything changed. Our whole world changed. And although today Ella is doing well, it has been a long road. We have, she's been in a, she was in the hospital for several months. She's had many surgeries and appointments and we've been in all kinds of therapy and just to say that it has been hard would be an understatement. Oh, yeah. Sure. I don't think it's any way to communicate how hard it's been. The, the constant three-hour feedings for years, the doctor visits, the, uh, the issues with uh, weight gain, uh, the th- hundreds of doctor visits. Yeah. And, and, and there's still more ahead. I mean, ahead. Ella is born with some very special challenges. I just got to ask you. How did it make you feel? I mean, your first daughter, you get this awesome word from God, and the second time, you don't. Yeah, you know, the Lord has been so faithful throughout this whole time, but honestly, I have not always felt that way. For much of the past three years, I felt like he had left me. I was very disappointed. I was very hurt, and I really just had a lot of bitterness and anger that he would allow this to happen. And I just basically came to the conclusion that God could not be trusted. Mm. I want you all to hear that, that kind of honesty, because you hear these awesome testimonies of people that, that were healed. And then you sit there and look at your life or your child and think, well, why didn't my prayer get answered? So... Where are you now? What have you learned? Well, there's so many things that we have learned. Um, but just quickly, I just want to share three things. And one is just that first, I just learned that he loves me so much. And he loves all of us so much. And the thing that he wants the most is 
a relationship with us and that he doesn't just want us to know about him, he wants us to know him. So don't run from him, just run to him, especially in these times where you are suffering, you just don't know how this is going to play out. I mean, just run to him. And the second thing would just be that he is trustworthy. You can trust him with every last thing. And, you know, the enemy is going to whisper in your ear, if you let this go, if you release it and surrender, you're going to be hurt again. Don't do it. That's a lie. Um, It's a complete lie. Don't buy into that. Just in surrender, there is freedom. And when you just pour your heart out to the Lord and release those things to him, your life will never be the same. Um, The last thing is just that sometimes we don't always get the answer we expect or even want. With Eva, we did get the answer. We got a miraculous healing. But with Ella, we didn't. But we did get a spiritual and an emotional healing that we didn't even know we needed. And both answers were a gift. They both came with great blessing. So just... Run to the Father and believing and expect blessing. I smile every time I see your family and see those two precious girls. And they, got, they were answered in two different ways. But both of your daughters are going to have powerful stories to share with the world about God who's greater than suffering. You Thank you Thank so you, much Ray. for sharing with us, Amy. You see, it is possible to want healing more than you want God. We have to be careful. We worship a God who heals. We do not worship the God of health. It takes faith to be healed. And it takes faith to be sick. This is underneath the story of Job. You'll recall that Satan the accuser said of Job and says of you and me to God. They only serve you because they want a good life. And God pushes back and says, no, they serve me because they think I'm a good God. And so they asked C.S. Lewis one time, why do the righteous suffer? And he said, why not? They're the only ones who can handle it. When the great preacher William Sangster found out he was dying of progressive muscular atrophy, he made four resolutions. I will never complain. I will keep the home bright. I will count my blessings. And I will try to turn it to gain. Because God is greater than my sufferings. And so I will dedicate my sufferings to God. I will let my weakness be the platform for his glory. However he chooses to reveal it. And one last thing. Remember this. Suffering is temporary. We are not. The author is going to make sure that the story ends the way it started. Suffering will not have the last word. You and I will outlive it. 
And so Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, so we do not give up. Our physical body is becoming older and weaker, but our spirit inside is made new every day. We have small troubles for a while now, but they're helping us gain an eternal glory that is much greater than the troubles. We set our eyes not on what we see, but on what we cannot see. What we see will last only a short time, but what we cannot see will last forever. Or to say it a little more succinctly in Romans 8, the sufferings that we have now are nothing compared to the great glory that will be shown to us. The Puritan Richard Baxter in his last days was visited by a friend who leaned over his bed and said, how are you doing? And in a labored whisper, he replied, friend, I am nearly well. Because God's ultimate intention is not resuscitation. It is resurrection. And that's why I believe we still have testimony of supernatural healings today. I believe God is granting previews of coming attractions. I believe healings are a foretaste of our final experience of salvation. They're a sign to the community of faith that God's ultimate healing is on the way. So, yes, we must always oppose suffering. It's not supposed to be a part of the story. And we take our suffering before the throne of our greater than God. And we seek healing. But even more than that, we seek grace. Because there's no blessing greater than a fresh experience of the grace of God in strength and especially in weakness. So I'm going to ask the elders of our church to take places around this auditorium at this time. We're going to do something we've done here many times. We are going to give the church the opportunity to ask their elders to pray about their suffering. Let me say two things quickly. First, the New Testament is clear. It is not the job of the elders to go up and down the street asking you if you're sick. It is the job of the church to go and let the elders know they're sick so that the elders can pray for them. It's the job of the elders to make themselves available to the church. And that's what we're doing right now. And so the elders are here to pray for you, anoint you with oil if you request. Second thing, just remember, we need more than one kind of healing. Some of you need physical healing. Some of you need emotional healing. David says he heals the broken hearted. Some of you need spiritual healing. You need to confess some sin in your life. Some of you need the ultimate healing. You need to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. There's going to be a couple of ministers down here. And you can come and be baptized. We're going to have a season where we just sing. And while we sing, people are going to come. And they're going to obey the word of God and ask for prayer. And I want to say something. I cannot promise a healing. I can promise a blessing. Because God rewards those who seek him. And the thing we need most of all is grace. 
Would you all stand? The elders are in their places upstairs and down. I'm going to pray, then we're going to sing, and we're going to go to our elders. So, Father, I ask you now in Jesus' name to glorify your name. Through our strength and through our weakness, God, either remove it or redeem it. But I pray now that you would give many in this room the courage to be humble enough to say, I don't need to pretend. There's no sense letting my suffering go unreported. And Father, we believe you're greater than our suffering. We believe we will receive a blessing today when we are obedient to your word to bring our suffering to you. So Father, may your presence and your spirit be heavy in this place these next few moments as we do what you told us to do. For Jesus' glory we ask it. Amen. So we're going to sing now. You are released. Your elders are ready. Come, receive prayer.